Come with me to go behind the scenes of an eight-figure D2C brand on how they've done it, the problems they overcame, and some really interesting takes on getting to grips with your net zero sustainability pledges and positions. Some amazing tips coming up from this hugely insightful business owner. It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you solve your marketing problems and grow your e-commerce business. Cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and advice from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello and welcome. It's great to have you here. Now, every now and again, I managed to bag a massively awesome guest. This one has been introduced by Mike Stevens, who was a recent guest on the show and author of the D2C playbook, the direct-to-consumer playbook. Mike was very kind to introduce me to today's guest, and we are going to be talking about how he took his idea for a business right the way up to over £12 million a year turnover. He's sharing advice from the beginning of his journey to later in the journey of the business, how they got all the way to 12 million. Uh, We're talking about routes to market. We're talking about outsourcing teams, marketing strategies. He gives some really, really solid business advice. And of course, we get into sustainability claims where he's got some brilliant insight as well. I thoroughly enjoyed chatting with him. Um, Could have chatted to him all day, but you know, None of you want to tune in to a 24-hour long Chloe episode. Uh, I, I assume not. If you do, let me know. But anyway, enough of me waffling about how great this guest is. It's time for you to listen to it as soon as you've checked out the sponsors. Getting an online business off the ground is not easy. So if you find yourself working late, tackling a to-do list that's a mile long with your fifth cup of coffee by your side, remember, great email doesn't have to be complicated. That's what Clavio is for. It's the email and SMS platform built to help e-commerce brands earn more money by creating genuine customer relationships. Once you set up a free Clavio account, you can start sending beautiful branded messages in minutes, thanks to drag and drop design templates and built-in guidance. And with e-commerce specific recommendations and insights, you can keep growing your business as you go. Get started with a free account at clavio.com forward slash masterplan. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash masterplan. And now to introduce today's special guest. Guy Blasky is the founder and CEO at Pooch and Mutt, creators and suppliers of health food for dogs, selling single orders and subscription via their Shopify store. Founded in 2007, they now do over £12 million a year. That's just over a third from the DTC channel, a third from Amazon and a third from retail. Hello, Guy. Hello. Great to have you here and congrats on all your success thus far. How did you end up selling dog food online? Um, That's a, that a very long story, but I'm going to condense it <laughs> as much as I can. Um, I am by background a marketing person and back in around 2006, 2007, uh, a few things happened at the same time. One was I got made redundant from where I was working but I was allowed to kind of set up on my own and take some customers, take some of my clients with me. So I was doing some creative work, creative consultancy that kind of paid the mortgage that allowed me to be able to do something on my own. Um, Two was 
my family dog got diagnosed with a condition called hip dysplasia. And we treated her with a joint supplement for horses made by my mum's company, called Blue Chip, which makes horse uh, health supplements. And it worked really well, so I thought there was a market for that. Uh, and the third thing was I read an article about the founder of Red Bull, who basically came from a marketing background and said he just needed a product and knew that he could make it a success. And that kind of rang a bell with me. And I thought if I had my own products, I could make it a success. That is a very arrogant approach. And I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, but it got you started, didn't it, at least? It gets yeah. you started. It turns out that actually understanding uh, cash flow and logistics um, is a lot more important than marketing sometimes. Um, so that's how I got started. I kind of thought, right, I, I need a product. Here's a product. It's worked. I know it works. My dog, and I know it gets really good reviews. So we launched with a range of health supplements. And then in kind of 2012, I had the idea, which everyone does now, but I had the idea of kind of building health supplements into treats, which we did and went into Waitrose and into Pets at Home with those. And then I had this idea of kind of taking that concept and developing it a bit further, which would bore all your listeners because they're not dog food nutrition people, uh, and developing it into food um, and food that basically does good and tastes good. So that's how we got to this. And as you said, there's a split across the business of kind of e-commerce retailers, DTC e-commerce and bricks and mortar retailers. And which route to market did you start with? Oh, that's a really good question. We did D2C like early doors straight away. And D2C early doors straight away was a WordPress website. This technology called Roman Cart, which I don't know if it even exists anymore, where not one I've even heard of. <laughs> no, and you kind of set up your products on Roman cart and then you copy a bit of HTML and you put that HTML into your WordPress site and then someone can shop your WordPress site and then you kind of download a spreadsheet and you I was writing out envelopes and putting them in big blue IKEA bags and taking them to, to the post office. Uh, <laughs> and that was our DC operation at the start. So we I mean and that was day one, you know, literally day one was me kind of going into the post office with my bags and we did a we got some products in pets at home but only about 60 or 70 stores um to start off with and i i did all the things where i was like right i'm not going to even talk to a wholesaler anymore they're all rubbish they've all let me down and the next day i'll get a call from a wholesaler and i'll be like oh yeah definitely gonna work with you <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so it was all and to be honest 2007 to 2012 i was still doing some consultancy some creative consultancy and marketing consultancy and it wasn't until 2012 that we launched the treats and had a proper plan and that was more of a retail plan at the time and then off the back of the growth of retail we then managed to grow amazon and d2c as well so in some ways, would you say that the supplements years, so 2007 to 2012, was just kind of earning enough to learn the models, the business models, the routes to market, the product, to then almost launch a new business in some ways with the treats in 2012? Yes, that's a good, I mean, that's one way of looking at it. I think it was about learning the market. Like I wasn't, you know, I became quite well known in the dog food sector and kind of understand the market, understand the market dynamics, how they worked. We were very early into things like Facebook uh, and Instagram and one of the largest dog food companies on Facebook and Instagram. So 
we were very early into that and kind of early adopters of that technology, which kind of placed us well for future years. But also, I think there was no crowdfunding online. People didn't really understand online. This was kind of early days of I was doing AdWords myself badly. And, you know, everything, this is, it's very different to the ecosystem to support the startups now. And I actually, I think that was a really good thing because it gives you discipline and it makes you kind of work hard for your money and have to be profitable and understand what profitability is and where your money comes from and what's happening and where you're spending it. Uh, you know, I think there's a bit of, a, there's a big problem now that I do mentoring, free mentoring and paid mentoring, but I do a lot of free mentoring with Imperial. There's this great program out of Imperial University and I've had some amazing, amazing uh, mentees and companies come out of it. But you also get people who don't have a product or anything developed and they're talking about their series A, their series B, they're talking about fundraising, they're talking about hundreds of thousands of what they need to do. And I constantly challenge them and say, you can launch this business. You know, I had one the other day, I was like, you can launch this business for three grand and you can prove it. You can use Shopify, you can use social, you can prove this business works. You can prove you can make a margin, you can prove you've got a real business and you can do that for three grand and show them how to do it. But they want to raise 300 because they, a lot of people think that raising money is the game, but it's not. That's when, that's when the trouble starts. Game. But also once it's you've got it, you, you need to spend it. People want a return. You know, you're then working for someone else and it's not easy. I get asked often myself, you know, what has changed in my nearly 20 years in e-commerce? I'm like, well, actually not much has changed in terms of how to build a business and how to grow a business. It's just that the tech and the the number of people out there has become much simpler, which in many ways means actually everyone's, we're still talking about email welcome campaigns. We're still talking about not turning on your Google ads and ignoring them for a couple of months. We're still talking about not just boosting a Facebook post, but actually doing it properly. And people still aren't doing it. So it's become easier. And I think if you're underfund, if you're massively overfunded, it's easy to, it's a lot easier to get lazy and to not do everything properly. Yeah, very, very true. Um, okay, guys, I think we got to 2012, didn't we? So was once once you did well with the treats and then you were moving it into the, the the food actual food rather than simply the treats or the supplements was it rolling out the model you perfected with the treats or did you take other angles with that as well oh this is a i mean i did this as a talk and it was about an hour the other day so, um, <laughs> short version um we got to about a million turnover got an offer to buy the company, went through due diligence, spent a fortune on lawyers, uh, buyer pulled out, which left me in absolute shit. I then went to Cranfield Business School, which Cran Cranfield Management School, which I'd highly recommend to everyone. They have something called Business Growth Programme, um, and it's for businesses turning over between 2 and 20 million who've got there by their own nows but don't know how to do things properly. Oh, which is a very good course. So I did that. And then I kind of had a plan and a good plan that kind of came out of it, uh, which we've been working on through lots of kind of failed raises and successful raises over the subsequent years. And I think one of the things that, that people don't appreciate, especially about retail businesses, which isn't 
that Bigfoot and Bigfoot e-commerce is when you're dealing with the likes of the big four supermarkets, the more you grow, the more they owe you. And they can be on 60, 30, 60, 90 day payment terms. So if you double your sales in a year, you also double your debtors in a year and you have to fund that. But also you have to double your stock holding plus. So your cash goes into stock and debtors and you can't pay wages with stock and debtors. No. It's really hard to grow. Well, and if you're very unlucky, you end up in the situation that a lot of the misguided suppliers have just got into where the business goes into administration and the money yeah. doesn't actually ever materialize. So it's a ri- risky proposition to be in. It's a really risky proposition. And I think people don't don't appreciate it. And I think what I learned is that we were kind of trying to manage growth and cash flow and profitability and looking at our customers, no one else was. The people that were managing profitability weren't growing as much. They weren't trying to. The people that were growing weren't managing their profitability because they were getting outside funding. They weren't managing their cash flow. And, and I don't think any, you know, you can, there, there may be companies that do who have ridiculously high margins, but it's very hard to manage all three of those. Because if you focus too much on all of them, you would never grow. So it just becomes this yeah, and I don't believe really it. difficult thing. Yeah, because if you're focused on profitability, unless you've got crazy levels of profitability, but if you're focused on profitability, you're not putting money into growth. As simple as that. And if you're focused on growth, then you're not putting money into being profitable. You, and you've got to be both. It, which is one of those things, as we go into recessionary times like we are at the moment, that's where businesses often accidentally catch a cold is they get too focused purely on maintaining profit levels, cut back all customer acquisition, maybe survive the recession, but they come out the other end and they haven't got that repeat customer piece that drives the business and the, the noise that comes out and the brand awareness and all the rest of it. So it's um, Maybe, but I would say that I wouldn't avoid doing that because going back to the conversations I'm having with people and people are people who are talking about burn rates in particular, which is a I find that there's a very scary term, depending on kind of what's happening with interest rates and people's level of risk appetite, that's going to mean less money is going into VC funds in the first place. And if less money is going into VC funds, less money is going to come out of VC funds. That means there's going to be less money available for funding. So if you're business model is reliant on accessing the same level of funding that it has done over the last five years, I would be worried. Yeah. I'd I'd be a lot more nervous if I was VC backed right now than if I was bootstrapping. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, look, um, Guy, we've gone on a very interesting tack, but I think we should focus in on what's going on right now at Pooch and Mutt now, because you're doing some very, very cool things. So let's get the basics covered. So where in the world are you and where do you sell to? So personally, I'm based um, between Poole and Bournemouth, about a mile away from the beach. I moved a year ago last week. After the pandemic, we went fully remote. And I've had a lot of kind of staff turnover. So that I think only three of our staff ever actually worked in the office. That we <laughs> um, and everyone works brilliantly remotely. And it's been brilliant because we've been able to hire the best people, not the best people within a mile of our office, which I think is a good thing. So that's been a great thing. Um, we sell primarily in the UK. We do a bit abroad 
uh, all over, but primarily the UK. And um, you mentioned the team are now fully remote. Um, what what are you doing in house, and what are you outsourcing? Um, in a way, we're kind of a sales and marketing company. Um, the easiest way to look at it is if somebody came along and said, "You can't sell dog food anymore," and we became a vitamin supplement company, for example, pretty much everyone would have the same job. So we don't do manufacturing. Uh, we don't do. We, I mean, we have an ops team, but we don't store anything ourselves. We don't warehouse anything ourselves. Uh, that's all outsourced. Um, we have a retail sales team, uh, an Amazon team. Uh, we have an e-commerce team. We have an ops team. So it's as streamlined as you can get an e-commerce head office team, really. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you could probably get more streamlined, but we do. I, we do what we're good at, uh, and that from the early days was an extension of we do what I'm good at. <laughs> and then as we went, we bought in people who were better at stuff than me. And then we kind of now do what they're good at and they have teams built around them. But yeah, we do we do what we're kind of we're good at and we outsource what we're not good at and we know that other people can do better than us. And that and that changes. We also have a model so you know we will outsource potentially outsource something to see if it works and we know it's going to be so kind of website development for example we will outsource we did outsource and we'll see if that works and we kind of outsourced a developer for a bit but then we kind of got to the level where we knew we needed more development so we've hired a developer because we've proven the ROI on having on the cost of a developer. Got it and how many are there in your team your internal team these days? That's a really good question. Roughly. I think it's 15. We keep hiring people, but I think it's around 15. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Um, and you, as well as, as doing these amazing things for, for helping dogs live happier lives, you've also got a pretty major sustainability pledge around your packaging, haven't you? Which um, Would you want to tell us a little bit about that and why you've chosen to do it? Yeah. I mean, I mean, we launched in 2007 with biodegradable packaging. I will say now biodegradable packaging is not the right thing for the environment. But we, you know, we launched being eco-friendly from day one. And I always believe basically in doing the right thing. And I think as many small businesses are, the, the, um, the values are in a way an extension of the founder's values that you then have to kind of encode into proper values. But we've always been eco-friendly from day one. One of the problems that we're having at the moment, actually, is we wanted to have a, to kind of have our pledge of what we're going to be and where we're going to be by 2025, which kind of everyone else is doing. And as we sat around as a management team to do that, we realized we haven't ever written down all the stuff that we actually do well. So, you know, we had a big push to move people to Tetra Packs instead of cans because they're 80% less CO2 in the touch pack and touch pack production than we can, which got me legal threats from the Metal Packaging Manufacturers Association, which I've never heard of. Um, but we have the data to back it up. Um, you know, we're working with DPD, who are amazing on green deliveries. We've looked at different kind of recycling programs in the past. We're looking at different ingredients that we're working with. So actually, the kind of the problem that we have is not our pledge to the future, is actually kind of properly... Because as we've gone, we've always made decisions with the environment in mind. 
but we've never really encoded them and written them all down in one place. So that's kind of mm-hmm. a challenge beforehand. And I'm also, I mean, one of the bits we haven't covered is um, we, our manufacturer became our investor and will eventually become our 100% owner. And I've been working with them to develop one of, redevelop one of their old brands, which is launching at the end of this year, beginning of next year, which I think will be the most environmentally friendly dog food possible to make. And we're working on a kind of a food waste angle for that. And we're doing it based on the data. Like there are people selling, and I'll you know, throw my hat in the ring now, there are people selling kind of vegan dog foods and insect dog foods, and they are actively worse for the environment than most other dog foods out there, but they're selling them environmentally because they've not done the work and they've not looked at the data properly. And that's a fight I'm preparing to pick for. (laughs) But it is so complex, isn't it, to do it sustainably? And I think especially small businesses go, yeah, we'll make it vegan. Or yeah, I read an article and insect based was a great idea. And then you you don't realize like hearing you talk about the the Tetra packs take 80% less carbon to create than tins. I always, I've, I've been thinking Tetra packs are the enemy. Well, people do. And this is one of the problems that we've had is that I've said with all of our products, we're going to do the right thing by the data, not what seems like the right thing. You know, a lot, which is the, you know, when people talk about biodegradable packaging, but actually what really happens with biodegradable packaging is you end up using land that could be used for growing food to grow packaging, which is a stupid thing to do. You normally end up contaminating recycling because people think that they can recycle it and they can't. And it kind of, so that is a bad thing to do. And no one home composts packaging. Um, or very few people do. So you end up putting, you can end up putting things in a worse place. And if you look at insect, it's really interesting. So with, without going off on a massive tangent, <laughs> but if you look at insects, for example, a lot of there are all these insect-based dog foods around, and they're basing their um, their data on human data. And yet, if you switch from having a steak or a chicken breast to insect. That is very good for the environment. That, that's definitely an environmental bonus. But if you made dog food out of a waste or a, a discarded, usually discarded product from that chicken or that cow, so if you were looking at things like intestines and livers and kidneys and hearts, which are way more nutritious mm-hmm. anyway, much better for your animal and would otherwise go to waste, well, then you're using a, what is effectively a waste product from the process as opposed to growing something new in an insect which doesn't have waste. So obviously, it's going to be better for the environment. And it's like if you look at the Tetra Pak versus cans, I can tell you to anyone, well, think of it on a normal basis. If if when a Tetra Pak is delivered to a manufacturer, it's delivered flat, whereas a can is delivered as a full can. And it's metal, so it's really heavy. So you're talking... A, nine trucks to deliver the same amount of cans as one truck of Tetra Pak. So you're just taking Tetra Packs off the road. And people say, yeah, but cans are recyclable. Well, Tetra Pak's recyclable. And the CO2 to recycle the can, someone showed me they held a cigarette lighter up to a can, it's not going to do anything. You held a <laughs> cigarette lighter up to a Tetra Pak, it's going to burn it. And that's the difference in energy needed to break down. So 
yeah, cans are recyclable, but that doesn't make them better for the environment. Look, we're looking at the whole data, and I can, and I can rant. I am aware, but people, <laughs> you know, people say, "Oh, we're environmentally friendly. Our packaging is recyclable, or something." And packaging is, you know, five percent of the emissions of the whole product, and they're not looking at the rest of the product. Yeah, it's it's a mindful, isn't it? But I think what you were saying about when you sat down with the team to come up with the pledge and you went, actually, what, let's make a list of what we're already doing. That's where I think every business should start is actually what, what do we think we're already doing? Is it actually the right thing? And then just be transparent about it, which brings me on to my next question, which is you mentioned, you know, that you're doing things by the data and you're doing the right thing. How do you find, how easy do you find it is to kind of educate the customer about that so they realize that tetra packs are actually a good thing not a bad thing do you find they're demanding of it or is it more a, a educate them so they love you for it than a here's the data you need to come and love us um it's really hard look and, and i'm going to say the biggest problem we have with tetra packs is actually we get complaints that people find them really hard to open and they are the easy and it like we've got infographics on you flip the top off you rip them off i do it Every day, it's what I feed my dog. But then I look at, you know, my wife can't open them properly, but she's been around them. Like, and, and she's had one on one training, hasn't she? <laughs> she has had one on one training and she still doesn't get it right. Um, uh, she's very good at lots of other things, but not opening Tetra packs. Uh, so, you know, we try not to educate people too much. I think the people who don't, don't. And we try to have the answers when people have the questions. I think is the right thing that, you know, people need to answer the questions. E-commerce master plan is supported by some of the greatest companies in the e-commerce sector. Here's a reminder of who they are. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly $500 billion by 2025. Recharge is the leading subscription management solution, helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale their subscription offerings. Recharge powers the growth for over 15,000 subscription merchants, turning one-time transactions into long-term customer relationships. Whether you're a direct-to-consumer business or an omnichannel brand, subscriptions strengthen your brand's relationship with your customers and make it easy for consumers to make repeat purchases, bringing you predictable revenue, increased customer loyalty and higher average order values. Turn transactions into relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. You can get started today with the subscription payment solution trusted by over 50 million subscribers worldwide by heading over to rechargepayments.com forward slash masterplan. At the start of this episode, I mentioned Klaviyo. Well, here's an app that integrates with Klaviyo to level up your e-commerce store. Hear from Alexandria Collins from Princess Polly Boutique on how Gorgeous did just that for her. I am Alexandria Collis, Director of Customer Experience for Princess Polly. I'm focused on our strategy and innovation in the CX department here at Princess Polly. I have a quote and I always tell our CX leaders that customer experience is the heart of an organization and we pump the blood and deliver the oxygen to the vital organs in the business to help them thrive and grow stronger. The Gorgeous platform allows our agents a seamless place to just do it all. We are really there for the customer every step of the way if they want. Our customers expect quality and efficiency where they are. 
are. So the real question is, how do you get quality and efficiency across every single platform? And then once you have it, how do you maintain it? And I believe that with the Gorgeous platform, we can do that. If you're interested in learning more about Gorgeous, you can go to gorgeous.com and start a free trial today. It's time for the Top Tips Round. Okay, Guy, I'm thoroughly enjoying our chat, but it is time we moved into our top tips round. And I love this section because it gives me and our listeners some really quick ideas for taking our businesses to the next level. So, Guy, are you ready for the top tips? Yes. Excellent. Okay, the book top tip. If everyone listening to this podcast agreed to take Friday off and read a book to make their business better, which book would you recommend? First off, if you go to guyblasky.com, there is a book, there is a blog post that says the seven books that all entrepreneurs should read. Um, I think everyone in the world should read um, William B. Irvin, The Ancient Art of Stoic Joy. There's a lot of people talking about stoicism, but you know, read one, but his one book is fine. Once you've read that, read uh, Alan Watts, the book on the taboo against knowing who you are. And those are both philosophy books, not business books, but your life is more important than your business. Excellent. Those who are terribly intrigued about those seven books, we will add a link to that blog post in the show notes for all of you. And um, I, I love a, you know, a, a tangential book recommendation because I think sometimes we can get so tied up in the tactical business focused stuff and actually it all drills back to philosophy in the end. So um, I will be adding those to my wish list. A happy life is more important than a successful business. Oh, so true. I, I think everyone should almost be branded with that uh, as they as they finish education. <laughs> Definitely. Tattooed on everyone's hands. Be happy first. Um, okay, the traffic top tip. Which marketing method do you either prize above all others or think doesn't get the press it deserves? Oh, the problem I have with this question is that I've got a really competitive team and now they're all... And we now have, we're now at the stage where we have an affiliate person about to hire another one, and we have a PPC person, um, and we kind of have an email person, and they're really competitive with each other. So if they're listening, I can't say anything. Um, <laughs> what I will say is I think affiliates probably is a bit that gets the less, the best, the, is the best performing versus the press it gets, I think. And also is the one that outperformed my expectations yeah really well i think uh you know ppc we've got a great guy that's that's working on ppc now and it's finally meeting up to my expectations and kind of beyond uh which is working really well and just to clarify when you say guy when you say ppc do you mean facebook and google or do you mean just one of them or are you talking all of those uh facebook and google but actually google's now working better than it's ever worked for us before um, but also we've been running, you know, email campaigns are great because they don't cost very much. And on the brand side, you know, we did a, the team came up with an April Fools, which was that we were going to launch a spray that made dog poo disappear. Um, <laughs> and the, the growth in organic search and, and, uh, and just in organic visits based on that has been incredible. So I'm not picking a favorite child. <laughs> uh, they're, all, they're all doing brilliantly if they're listening they're all doing brilliantly 
That's cool. Team harmony is important. So I'll let you get away with that one. Um, the tool top tip, maybe a collaboration tool, a social media plugin, a phone app, or just a way of working. Is there a cool little tool you use that makes you and your team more efficient from day to day? I'm going to give you the annoying answer, which is I'm just a really good spreadsheet. Uh, a non-exec about four years ago, he taught us how to report and we have weekly, we just finished it actually, we have a weekly management meeting with the management team. He taught us how to structure a management team. He taught us how to report at a management team and there's some details of that on the blog. But a good structured management meeting with good structured reporting from everyone on a spreadsheet beats any fancy tool any day. Totally true. And it's one of those things which even a one-person business yeah. can do. Even if it's sitting down with yourself, yeah. it's still worth doing. That, that is a proper top tip. Okay. The growth top tip. If you met someone today who's focused on growing their e-commerce business from 100 orders per month to 1,000, what would be your number one tip for them? Going back to my book top tip, a quote from Seneca says, if you do not know to which port you're sailing, no wind is favorable. What I mean by that is know where those thousand orders are coming from and you might get them. If you've got a goal of saying, I want to grow from 100 orders to 1,000 orders, you're not going to get there. If you've got a goal of saying, I want to get 100 orders to 1,000 orders, of which 200 are going to come from here, 300 are come from here, another 100 are come from here, and we are going to put X resource behind that 100 X resource behind this 300 X resource behind that 200, you might get there, but you won't do it just by opening and looking at a number. More brilliant advice, Guy. I wish you'd get you on every week. Um, <laughs> I am joking. Don't worry. <laughs> right. Okay. Thank you for all of that, Guy. Before we say goodbye, could you please let the listeners know where they can find you and your business on the web and social? So I've got a blog which has got a load of tips on it, which is not regularly updated, but should be. Uh, but it's goldmine. Uh, which is at guyblasky.com. Uh, and you can also go to growthsecrets.co.uk and it will take you through to that. Pooch and Mutt is at poochandmutt.co.uk uh, for all your dog food needs. Uh, follow us on Instagram. Instagram primarily. Facebook works brilliantly for us because dog owners are kind of in that demographic, but I think your demographic is probably more Instagram. We also have quite a fast-growing TikTok, which is not an area I am that great on, uh, but can get lost in it for hours. Um, so that's something we're looking, you know, we're looking at and starting to grow. So kind of all the socials. I'm on Twitter at Guy Blasky as well. Excellent. Yeah, um, I, I I've got rather excited by the news that TikTok are going to be putting in. I think it's it's for the kids to put a limit on the time you can use, and it turns to a black screen. Totally setting that up for myself. <laughs> I'm amazed how quickly you know you can sit. Whether it's TikTok or Instagram Stories, you can kind of sit, and it's like, oh god, half an hour now has just gone by. Yeah, it's it's a dangerous, dangerous place uh, for time management, if nothing else. Um, Guy, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You have shared awesome insight from so many different angles. It's been a real pleasure chatting to you. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you. What a 
fascinating chat we've just had there with Guy. I didn't know those were the directions we were going in. I knew I was going to ask him about the pledge, but um, but a lot of the other areas were really, really fascinating. And I think for anyone who, you know, who's got sights on creating, you know, a multi-million pound, multi-million dollar D2C brand, he covered off some really big topics you should be thinking about and some great advice in there too. And the the bit about sustainability, about really getting into the data and not just um, not just making assumptions about things is something I think we're all going to have to get very, very good at in the coming years. And I hope we all get very, very good at because it's the right thing to do, as Guy was saying. Now, you can get your hands on our notes from today's show, including the top tips and links to what we've mentioned by heading over to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast, or you can use our new special director episode links. That's ecmp.info forward slash episode number. Simple as that. Uh, Once you get to the website, you can add yourself to our email list so you don't miss out on any of the many other things I share to help you improve your business. And if you liked this episode, you liked that hearing about how a big D2C brand got to where they've got to, then have a listen to my recent interview with Mike Stevens, who was one of the early people at Innocent Drinks, a big D2C uh, business, who has written a book called The Direct Consumer Playbook, where he's interviewed and summarized case studies of multiple big D2C brands. And we talk about the key lessons from that in the interview. And if you find that interesting, then go and grab yourself a copy of his book. Now, Mike's episode is, she says, hastily looking at her records because she hasn't written it down in her script. Um, Mike's episode is episode 390. So go and have a listen to episode 390 if you want more big picture strategic D2C growth stuff. Thank you so much for tuning into this and every episode of the e-commerce master plan podcast. I bring you a new interview every single week because I want to inspire and help e-commerce business owners like you to succeed and thrive with your businesses, including progressing along the path to net zero, that tricky sustainability angle. So if you know someone this show can help, please, please, please tell them, beg them, demand that they listen to the e-commerce master plan podcast because I'd love to help them too. I hope you have a brilliant week and do not forget to keep optimizing. Thank you for listening to the e-commerce master plan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com slash podcast. If you're marketing an e-commerce brand, you already know that data changes everything. More data means more power. And if your email or SMS tools can't handle all that data, they're probably holding you back. That's where Klaviyo comes in. Its top-notch personalization and segmentation help you send the right message at the right time, guided by unlimited real-time data from your online store and tech stack. Request a demo at klaviyo.com forward slash masterplan. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash masterplan.